So we're going to get straight into the worship you, since you're already standing. If you go with me to the book of John chapter 14, John chapter 14, we're going to read a few scriptures. And we thank you for all the families that are joining their, their families and uh, the child dedication and even honoring the veterans. Veterans, We thank you for taking time to, to be here with them and celebrating with them and uh, supporting them. So John chapter 14, we're going to read verses 15 through 31. I know it's a lot, but we got it. We got this. John chapter 14, verses 15 through uh, 31. And it reads like this. If you love me, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, by the way. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. 17. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world, can, the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and, he do, and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Verse 18, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. 19, soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me since I live. You also will live. Verse 20, when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me, and because they love me, my Father will, my father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas said to him, Lord, why are you, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? And Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Verse 24, anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. Verse 25, I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate, the Holy Spirit, as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Verse 27 is key. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Verse 28, remember what I told you. I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. Verse 30, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me. But I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this incredible time, Lord, we've already spent here together. And I pray, God, that you would just let your presence be continue to be in this place. We ask you, Lord, that our hearts would be receptive, Lord, of your word. And give us the words to speak this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. And uh, this morning I have a tall task with you all, and we pray that God would give us the grace, uh, with graces with his presence and freedom. And so initially I had another topic in mind, and I was really excited about sharing that one. And, and something happened during this week where just kind of everything shifted for me, and, and we went in a, in a different direction. Maybe in the near future, if God allows us to, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that initial topic. But uh, if not, then, you know, it's one of those things where like, okay, God, maybe it wasn't for us. But I'm excited about this one as well, just to clarify. I'm excited about this one. 
uh, because it's one of those things that when God changes your plans, uh, if you walked with in, in your faith journey, if you've been in your faith journey for a while already, there's this, this sense of, okay, if I've, I've kind of experienced this before, God, and your plans are always so much better than mine. So if you switch my original plans, my initial plans, then I, I know you're behind all this. And so my topic with you all this morning is sticks and swords won't do. Sticks and swords won't do. And so before Jesus leaves this physical earth in a physical form, he takes the time to let his disciples know that he, he has to leave, right? But that he will leave them with something. And Jesus could have picked anything to leave with him. I mean, let your, let your mind run wild this morning, okay? And, and think of something that Jesus could have left them with that would benefit the world as we know it. And the one thing that Jesus deems is necessary to leave them with is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. There was something about the Holy Spirit, something so powerful and yet so gentle. Something so wise and yet so simple. Something so complex and yet so foundational. And out of everything and anything Jesus could have left them, left us with, Jesus chooses to leave us with the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit is more than a warm, fuzzy feeling. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is more than speaking in angelic tongues. The Holy Spirit is more than a soothing, beautiful experience in which there is a peace in a holy moment. Those things can happen, and some of you may experience the Holy Spirit in that manner, but it is not regulated to just that. Are you with me this morning? See, the Holy Spirit empowers. The Holy Spirit guides. It transforms. It promotes unity. The Holy Spirit reveals truth, provides comfort. It is through the Holy Spirit that we are equipped to live a life that reflects the character of Jesus Christ and enables us to fulfill the purpose in the kingdom. Why? Because sticks and swords won't do. Sticks and swords won't do. There is this prayer by Moses in Psalms 90, verse 1 and 2, and it reads like this. Lord, you have been our dwelling place, a place, a place of refuge. You have been our dwelling place in all generations, plural. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And what is rather insightful to me about this prayer is that he uses the word generations in the plural sense, not just one. But if you remember, Moses never physically entered the promised land. And most of the people that came out of Egypt didn't make it into the promised land because of their unbelief. And it was the generation that was raised in the wilderness that entered the promised land. Yet Moses says, you have been our dwelling place, our place of refuge, place in all generations. Moses saw things that others couldn't see. Moses understood in a way that others could not understand unless you spent time like he did with God. And there are some things, let me say this, there are some things that are found only in his presence. And unless we make the investment to be there, meet him there, we will never know such revelations. So Moses speaks in faith, knowing that God would be a God to every generation to come. That's why he says, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It doesn't matter how many generations passed or have passed or will pass. One thing will remain the same. God will still be God. 
And in case you don't believe it, he tells us through the prophet Isaiah, he says, Beside me there is no other God, neither shall there be after me. Period. <laughs> and when I think of the word generation or generations, three names come to mind. If, in fact, it's a phrase repeated throughout the Old Testament over and over. The God of Abraham, Abraham Isaac, and and Jacob, okay, you know it. Well, these three guys are great guys, and, and they did amazing things, and we can extract so many life lessons from their lives. But I want to talk about three other guys this morning, three other generations. In Scripture, we find that generations matter, okay? Generations are important. The word alone is found throughout the entire Bible over and over and over again. Moses writes, Know, know therefore, in Deuteronomy 7, 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So Moses was looking through the lens of faith and saying, for eternity, God will be God and he will keep his promises. So generation isn't just limited to inheritance, but generations in scripture are intertwined with destiny. How you got there is just as important as when you got there. How you got there is just as important as when you got there. In fact, Matthew, the opening gospel informs us of the lineage of Jesus and ends, and ends with this. And these are the generations of the genealogy of Jesus. As the New Testament, the covenant begins, Matthew seems to think it's crucial to remind us of the previous generations that came before Christ. Because if it wasn't for the previous generations, the present generations wouldn't exist. Are you with me? It doesn't matter how great the next generation has been. We cannot negate the, the fact that if it wasn't for the ones that went before us, we wouldn't be here. And the reason, the reason the next generation has been better than the previous is because there has been something to build on. Stay with me. They laid out the blueprint and we're just making things better and more efficient, hopefully. But they are the true trailblazers. They are the true trailblazers. God is a generational God. And for every generation, there has been a promise. Okay. For every generation, there has been a promise. In the Old Testament, it was about the seed. The seed that would eventually be Jesus. That no matter how destructive it seemed, or how chaotic it looked, or how rebellious the people of Israel got, or how messed up the kingdoms became, that they ended up splitting into the north and the south. Okay, God had promised to protect the seed, and he did. See, that's what we need to remind ourselves from time to time. That even though each generation has had its struggles... It has also had its moments of success. Why? Because God has always, always made sure that there's one that will stand and say, Lord, use me. Lord, use me. And we can look back at each generation and we can find the failures of that generation. But at the same time, you'll find the good things that each generation brought forth. Every generation has had a giant to face. Okay? Every generation has had a giant to face, but every generation has also had a general to lead the conquest and conquering of that giant. So I wonder if there are any generals in the house. And so I want to take a look at three generations, not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I want to look at Moses and Joshua and David this morning. So the Moses generation or the, the Moses type people, Moses Moses was a faithful man. We're going to go on a journey here. So Moses was a faithful man. 
And it took him a while before he really understood what was going on and the type of mantle that was on him. But when he got to the point, he, uh, when he got to that point, he was full steam ahead. And so that's in, some encouragement for, 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 for you if you're at a place where you quite don't understand what's going on in your life or the weight of the mantle, the calling that God has over you. Um, it took Moses about 40 years to finally get it, so you'll be fine just as long as you don't go after the 40 years because then we can't help you. So hopefully within the 40 years, you figure out what God wants for your life. But Moses wasn't just faithful, okay? He was also a worshiper. Moses wasn't just faithful, but he was a, also a worshiper. He was committed even though he knew already he would not get to see the promise and he stayed committed. Many times we read that he set up his tent outside of the camp so that he could have some prayer time with God. In fact, it's Moses, the faithful one, and the worshiper that says, unless your presence goes with me, I'm not taking another step. Moses didn't want to live another day without his presence, his power, and his protection. And I believe there are Moseses here today, the Moseses that have learned to live by faith. And I, uh, just, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appeal to my upbringing, but I saw this type of Moses generation in my parents and the ones that came before us. So some of this might make, make my, you might relate to it, some of it you may not, but just stay with me and we'll make it all make sense at the end, hopefully. They would rather, the Moses generation, right, they would rather go to church than go to work. And when it came time to sewing time and the light bill was due Monday morning and all there was was to eat some, and all there was uh, to eat was some crackers, the, the Moses generation sewed anyways believing that God would provide. Ask me how I know. And Sunday night comes around and someone knocks at the door. You weren't expecting it and you open the door and there stands a family from church with bags of groceries. And they proceed to tell you, we were grocery shopping and the Lord put it in our hearts to buy you groceries as well. But wait, there's more. And then they give you an envelope with the exact number, amount for the light bill that was due the next day. Ask me how I know. The Moses generation didn't worry about having enough money left to go eat afterwards. They would give it all. And I was sharing with my wife that I went, when there was an offering taking, a special offering taking, taking place and I saw my dad walk up, I, I got so mad. I was like, that's it? I already knew we're not going out to eat afterwards now. We're going to have to go home. So every time there was a special offering, I was like, ah, oh, dad, don't go. That's, that's food. That's money for my papita. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, but the Moses, they didn't care if they... If they didn't have money to go eat afterwards, they would give it all. And then the Moses generation would gather at someone else's house after church and they would cook something up for everyone, right? Fideo y frijoles con tostadas, right? Whatever it was. <laughs> there we go. The Moses generation learned to make the best of bad situations. And, and somehow, just about every time there was this type of gathering, somehow <laughs> it always turned into a full-blown service. Ask me how I know. The Moses, the Moseses had a love for the presence of God. So much so that Moses requested no, something no one else had done before. He, he says to Jehovah, show me your glory. Hmm. He was saying, I heard your voice through the burning bush, but I want to see you face to face. He was saying, I've seen the miracles you've done for us, but I want to see the miracle maker. He was saying, I've experienced your presence in my life, but I want to know you. 
See, the Moseses prefer the presence over the presence. See, the Moses generation didn't care if the AC worked that Sunday or if the heater worked in mid-December. In fact, let me go, uh, go as far as to say the Moses generation didn't care if there was electricity in the church building. They came to worship God, and that's what they were going to do regardless. <laughs> Sitting on buckets and two-by-fours, they were going to worship God. Oh, we can't do that now because that would be considered abuse. <laughs> stay, to your, stay on your notes, Pastor Israel. But the Moseses didn't have much, but they gave it all for the cause. And, and when God asked Moses, what's in your hand? His response was a stick, a rod, a stick, a rod. And a stick isn't much when you're going to go, when you're going to go against, up against Pharaoh and an army. It's an insult. It's a joke. It's like fighting a giant with a few rocks. Oh, wait, that turned out pretty well, didn't it? The Moses generation didn't have much, but they never hesitated to give it all. The Moseses learned to bow the knee in the midst of adversity. The Moseses learned to bow the knee in the midst of adversity. The Moses generation has produced some of the most powerful praying people that we know. And it's not that they didn't know what else to do, but they had the revelation that God is not just creator, but he's also healer. But he's also deliverer. But he's also a provider. He's also a restorer of the broken and battered. He's a father to the fatherless. He's hope to the hopeless. He's a redeemer to the guilty. He is the Lord of the breakthrough. They knew the magnitude of his kingship. And as a citizen of that kingdom, you and I have certain rights. The Moseses were faithful. Even if they would never get to see their children come to Christ with their own eyes, they kept praying anyways. Even if they would never get to see their spouse come to Christ, they kept praying anyways. In fact, that's the reason some of us are here. The prayers of a grandmother that you didn't even get to meet, but they were praying for you. The prayers of a weeping mother saying, God, do something with my child. Don't let them go through what we went through. It's the prayers of your parents when you feel like they don't care about you and you feel like they're actually keeping you away from all this fun in their bedroom. They're praying, God, protect my children. God, cover them. See, that's the reason the enemy of your soul hasn't been successful. Let me attempt to paint you this picture. Paul in the book of Ephesians talks about how the enemy launches fiery darts at us all day long. Some of those darts were meant to hit you and hurt you, but you know why they never got to you? In fact, you didn't even know that there were some darts targeted towards you. And the reason you didn't even know is because every time your parents and your grandparents and your pastors prayed for you, those darts were thrown off course. Prayer caused those darts to lose its aim of direction. The Moseses were a faithful generation. The Moses generations were a worshiping generation. They were relentless. The Moses generation, all they had was a stick. But that was enough for that generation. And you see, you have to know that each generation has had a certain type of weapon of arsenal. And the arsenal is adequate to the time of that generation. So for the Moseses, it was a stick. It was worship. It was being faithful. And we love the Moseses, but the days come to an end for Moses, and there is this, and in his succession was a man by the name of Joshua. He had already been taken under Moses' leadership. Joshua had been taught some things and had experienced some things, and by being around Moses, he had adopted a few things. So if Moses was faithful, 
Joshua was a fighter. If Moses was a worshiper, Joshua was a warrior. If Moses had a stick, Joshua had a sword. The weapon was according to the time of that generation. Joshua, from the moment he took succession, the moment he took over, he already had a sword in hand. Joshua, more than anything else, knew how to conquer and defend. He was a warrior. Moses was a worshiper, but Joshua was a warrior. And the Joshua generation is one that we, a lot of us can identify with. The thing about the Joshuas is that from the moment he took the lead, position. People already had expectations for him. People had labels on Joshua. People had in their minds an idea of what Joshua should do as a leader. The people in their minds began to compare Joshua to Moses. And even before Joshua has a chance to speak to them, they already have, had, have his life planned out for him. See, the Joshua generation is the, the, the type of people that the moment they truly comprehend the calling in their lives, the moment they, they reach an age where they understand who God is and why is it that we feel we can feel his presence even when we're not at church and there is no band playing, the Joshua generation has from the moment of unveiling an illuminating moment has had to fight to take off the labels that people have placed on them. Labels like, well, if dad did it, he has to do it too. Well, if dad is a business owner, son, you have to, you have to continue the family. If dad was a pastor, mijo, you're, you have to be a pastor. If mom sings, you have to sing. How many of us grew up with those labels? You have to. You, you didn't have an option. You didn't have a choice. And the Joshua generation from that moment has had to peel off the expectations of those around them thinking that just because they helped mom and dad out at some point, they felt like they could somehow control your destiny and your decisions. The Joshua generation has had to fight to peel off the labels and the expectations and the criticism from those around them thinking they know what's best for you. Joshua, in other words, inherited a group of critics. In fact, if you recall that during the time of Moses, there was so much complaining that the Lord caused the earth to open up. <laughs> and in that day, about 250 critics, along with their household and belongings, were swallowed up by the earth. Oh, Lord, would you do it again? I'm kidding. Joshua has to learn to deal with the people, which wasn't easy to do. And now I know why God says what he says to him in the beginning of the book of Joshua. Cheer up, buttercup. Be strong and courageous. Cheer up, buttercup. Be strong and courageous. Cheer up, buttercup. Be strong and courageous. Three times in an opening chapter, God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. God had to make sure that Joshua didn't get discouraged too soon. And seeing the Joshua generation is a generation that seems to struggle with depression. Joshua was the leader. And I cannot tell you how many, how many times I've heard in the past eight to ten years how I personally recall, I have never read about so many leaders struggling with depression that eventually takes their lives. I've read about leaders who were about to leave for Sunday service to tell their family, go ahead of me, I'll be right behind you, only to find out that they never made it to church. I read about how a pastor preached his message, shook hands with everybody in the tenants, went home and hung himself. 
See, the Joshua generation is a generation that has struggled with this, this kind of spirit, but you must know that even this spirit was defeated at the cross. And if anybody here is struggling with depression, I pray that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the gift that is the Holy Spirit would rest upon you and cause the depression to flee. That the Holy Spirit may fill every empty area inside of you and release unspeakable joy in your life. See, the thing about the Joshua's is that when it gets to the mountaintops, it does glorious things. But when it hits those valley moments, it causes internal damage. I'll say it this way. The Joshua generation defeats those giants that seem impossible to defeat. But the Joshua generation ends up losing to the enemies it should defeat. Take Jericho and Ai, not artificial intelligence, Ai, a city in the Bible. Take Jericho and Ai. Jericho was majestic. Jericho was battle-tested. Jericho had walls surrounding the city. Jericho had an army ready to defend. And yet the Joshuas was able to, were able to defend, defeat a colossal of a giant in Jericho. And Ai was just the opposite of Jericho. No walls, no army, an inferior enemy. And yet the Joshua generation couldn't defeat them. See, the thing with the Joshua's is that we struggle with the thing. We all have the thing that we struggle with. The thing you don't like to talk about, and when the subject comes up, you feel uncomfortable. We all struggle with that thing. We've tried to fix it. We've tried to change it and stop it, but we seem to get more attached to it as time goes by. And that's the Joshua generation, that we can experience some of the greatest victories, but also some of the worst defeats. We are battle-tested, and we can fight against bigger devils, but it's those small devils that conquer us. Are you with me? When we're up, we're, we're up. But when we're down, we're way down. And what makes it harder for the Joshua's is that he also inherited Moses' enemies. You see, Moses had enemies waiting for him in the promised land. Even though they didn't know that Moses would never be able to step into the promised land. In fact, Moses didn't even know they existed and that they were waiting for him. But they knew Moses existed because they had heard how God had delivered him, empowered him, and covered him. So let me say this real quick. There are people that are jealous of you. You have enemies. Newsflash, you have enemies. Enemies that you will probably never, ever meet in person. You don't know that they exist, but they know you exist. Because they too have heard how God has delivered you, empowered you, covered you provided for you, anointed you, and promoted you. So Moses' enemies became Joshua's enemies. Joshua had to be a warrior. He had to be a warrior. So the Joshua generation, the Joshua generation knows how to conquer. The Joshua generation knows how to get the people in unison. And the Joshua generation is a wall-breaking generation. So Moses was a worshiper, Joshua was a warrior. Moses was faithful, Joshua was a fighter. Moses had a stick, Joshua had a sword. I wonder if there are any Joshuas in this place. See, both the Moseses and the Joshuas, they, they did what they were called to do. But then there's David. If Moses had a stick, Joshua had a sword, but David had the spirit of the living God. If Moses was a worshiper, Joshua was a warrior. David, not only was he a worshiper, he was also a warrior. 
And when a worshiper has a warring spirit, not only can they pull on heaven to respond, but they give heaven a place to dwell. And if the spirit is present, hell cannot prevail. There is a generation that has understood that the only thing that can change people, that can change communities, and that can change hearts is the spirit of the living God. For Moses' generation, the stick was necessary. For the Joshua's, the, the, the sword was necessary. But for the David's, the here and now, the David generation, the spirit of the living God is necessary. Why? Because sticks and swords won't do. If you could define the kingship of David in one event, it would be that he brought the Ark of the Covenant back. He, he brought the presence of God back to the people. David loved to worship, but he also loved to battle because sometimes it's a battle to worship, isn't it? David was so excited that as they made their way back into the city, he starts dancing like he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, right? And his wife hears the music. She hears the trombone and the tuba. Oh, my husband is coming. And she looks out the window and behold her boot is dancing and she's embarrassed by it and she does and she what every wife tells her husband on a daily basis she tells her husband what every wife tells her husband on a daily basis don't do that again <laughs> but what she didn't know is what David had gone through stay with me church to recapture the ark of the covenant she didn't know that all those years of tending uh, the sheep and being the forgotten son and being left out there for the wilderness to destroy him, she didn't know what he had, fe what he had felt out there all by himself was the same thing uh, he felt when he came close to the covenant. And now David was able to put the two and two together and know it wasn't just the winds uh, that he was feeling out there in the pastures, but it was the winds of the spirit of the living God keeping him company out there in the middle of nowhere that what he couldn't explain now had a point of contact there was a, a source from which he could draw from now see my cow ridiculed him and his worship but she didn't know the war he had had he had, he had gone through so don't ever let people talk you out of your worship they don't know what you've been through don't ever let people talk you out of your worship they don't know what you've been through they don't know the war at home. They don't know the war in the workplace, the war going on inside of here. And just because I don't look like what I've been through doesn't mean I haven't been through anything. Just because I don't smell like smoke doesn't mean I haven't been in the furnace. You remember the three Hebrew boys, they were in the furnace, but because God was with them, their clothes or hair didn't burn and their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. See, the Davids know how to worship and the Davids know how to go to war. And when a worshiper has a warring spirit, there is an open heaven available to them. You'll have access to what is available in heaven. Our dilemma is we're looking for the natural in the supernatural instead of looking for the supernatural in the natural. The David generation is a worshiping generation. The Davids are a warring generation. The Davids are a spirit-filled type of people. See, the Davids aren't after the anointing. We see in Scripture that the anointing was after David. 
David didn't seem to do well in the limelight, in the spotlight, on the platform, holding a mic. Look, you look at David's life and some of his best work was done behind the scenes when he wasn't the focal point. When he's out there minding his own business, being faithful to what his dad had told him to do. And some of us don't do well in the spotlight on the platform. Some of us, our best work is behind the scenes. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I'd rather have a small part in a big thing than a, have a big part in a small thing. Every generation had the adequate arsenal for that generation. Moses, the stick was suffice. For Joshua, the sword was suffice. But for David, the here and now, the spirit is suffice. And if there has ever been a time in closing, if there has ever been a time in which we need the Holy Spirit in us, it's yesterday. It is yesterday. Sticks and swords won't do anymore. We need the spirit of the living God inside of us. We need to be worshipers and be able to go to war. In this world that we are now living in and our kids are growing up in, we need the spirit of the living God. The days we are living in are where we are being attacked left and right and all around. The days where our identity is being attacked. The days where the norm is being attacked. The days where the good is called evil and what is evil is called good. The days where the innocence in our children are being stripped away at an early age. The days where marriage is, is seen as a convenience and not a covenant. The days where the Holy Spirit is, is just confined to just the feeling Sticks and swords won't do anymore, church. I hate to break it to you this morning, but sticks and swords won't do. We need worshipers that know how to war. And we love the Moseses and the Joshuas. But we need some Davids to take their place in their homes first, in society, in every place they step into. May we be a people of his presence that Sunday mornings wouldn't be the only time we say a prayer. Talk to me. But that we would break the routine and start our days talking to God and ending our, prayer, our days thanking him for another day. That if out of all the things that you could, Jesus could have left his disciples and us, you saw it fit that and necessary that more than anything else was the need of the Holy Spirit that we would be filled with his spirit and Jesus describes it as a gift so I'll read John's four, John 14 again Jesus is telling his disciples I am leaving you with a gift what is the gift peace of mind and heart and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give so don't be troubled or afraid now you got to read this with Jesus speaking to his boys. And he's telling them, my end is coming. I've got to go to the cross. The time is ticking for me. I'm going to have this conversation with my boys, the, the people that I can trust. And this is what he's telling those, that he, the, time, the ones he invested three and a half years with. He says, I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you, I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you. Because the ruler of this world approaches, he has no power over me. 
But I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. Now make those scriptures personal. I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. And us saying, I don't have much more time to talk because the ruler of this world approaches, but yet he has no power over us anymore. But I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. We need the Davids that are willing to defeat the giants everybody else is afraid to confront. We need the, the Davids that are willing to defeat the giants everybody else is afraid to confront. We have Moseses in this place. We need them. We have Joshua's in this place, and we need them too. But we need the Davids to take their place. We need the Davids to take their place. Why? Because sticks and swords won't do anymore. We need the spirit of the living God in our lives. Not one day a week. Not part-time. Every day. Full-time. So I want to end this moment, this time, with a congregational prayer. So I'm going to read, and then you guys repeat. I think it will be on the screen. So I would say bow your heads, but then you're not going to be able to see it. <laughs> or you don't close your eyes. <laughs> so would you repeat after me? Lord, today I make a decision to stand firm in faith. I will not bow to the lies of the enemy anymore. I will not give ear to the whispers of doubt any longer. I will not take my days for granted. But I will be intentional the days you give me. So forgive me. Cleanse me. I repent of all my failures. Today I ask that you would fill me with your spirit. Lead me into all truth. Open my eyes to see the good. Restore my innocence in my relationship with you first and then those around me. I embrace the gift that is the Holy Spirit in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Church, sticks and Sticks and swords won't do. We need the spirit of the living God inside of us. Now, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, we thank you for this moment, God. We thank you, Lord, for this word that challenges me first, God. That challenges me first. It hits me first. God, that we will be faithful, God that we will be worshipers and warriors. Lord, the, the example that our parents gave us, God, that we would take that and go to the next level. God, that they have laid out a blueprint for us, Lord. And if it wasn't for our parents, we wouldn't even be, Lord, maybe in this faith journey. And the reason we've been able to stay in this faith journey is because the prayers of our parents prayers of those around us God and for some of us we left and we came back 
thinking we knew better, thinking they were trying to keep us away from having a full life. And we quickly realized there is no life without you. And we thank you for those that have made the 180 degree turn and have come back, Lord, to, to you, to community. Lord, I pray for the Davids in this place, God, the parents, the leaders in their homes, God. That you allow us to be strong spiritually, God, that it wouldn't be a phase, it wouldn't be like a, a New Year's resolution, God, where it fades rather quickly. But we would make a, a deep commitment to you intentionally, Lord. I'm going to lead my family spiritually. I don't know it all. I may not even know how to pray. But God, I'm going to talk to you like I talk to a friend. And that's all that he wants. Hey, God, I need you today. Watch over my, my children at school. Watch over my spouse at work. That they would make it home safe and sound. God, our, our prayers would be that simple, God, but direct and intentional and give us the wisdom Lord as, as parents give us the wisdom Lord to guide our children to talk to them to reach them to be able to reach them and connect with them God you know everything that's happening out there in the schools and, and we don't know everything God but we just pray that and we leave them in your hands when they go somewhere outside of the house so I pray that you would allow the Davids in us to arise and take our place, that we would be worshipers and warriors, that we would give heaven a place to dwell, God, and that you would do the work that you, you need us to do in this place while we are still here. In your name I pray. Amen.